Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about the disappearance of Marvin Clark. So grab yourself some coffee and let's dive into it. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for a Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. Marvin Alvin Clark was born sometime between 1851 and 1857 in Marion County, Iowa. Just a heads up because we're already seeing it, but this case is very much a case that had a lot of different information. I don't know if it's just because it's from over 100 years ago that a lot of the information just has been kind of construed over the years, but... A lot of the dates and even some of the timeline of what happens after he goes missing is is inconsistent. So, like I was saying, Marvin was born anywhere from 1851 to 1857 to Mary and George Clark. Marvin was a pretty smart guy. He graduated from two different universities. And in around 1910, Marvin and his wife Mary moved from Nebraska to Oregon. Marvin had had several different jobs throughout the course of his life. At one point, he was a farmer, and then at another point, he was a town sheriff. I saw that he was actually a sheriff in Nebraska and again in Oregon. Together, Marvin and Mary had four children. I couldn't find much details about their children. I know that they had at least one son and one daughter. At the time of our story, Marvin is about 75 years old, and he is... which. Once again, about 75 years old, because I don't know the exact year that he was even born. He was about five foot seven, five foot eight inches tall, and he actually suffered from paralysis on the right side of his body. So he didn't have full use of his right arm, and he needed a cane to walk because his gait was a little off um, because he had to drag his right foot along with him instead of walking with a normal gait. On Saturday, October 30th, 1926, around one o'clock in the afternoon, 75-year-old Marvin leaves his house in Oregon in Tagard, Oregon, to go about 10 miles away to Portland, Oregon, where he had plans to visit his daughter, Sydney. This is something also that I saw some mixed reports about. Some people said that he was on his way to see Sydney, and other people said that he may have been going to a doctor's appointment in Portland. I also saw at one point that somebody was like, well, maybe he was going and maybe the reason that we're having these misconceptions is because maybe he went to a doctor's appointment in Portland and then stayed with his daughter. So maybe it was kind of like a mix of both, but that was his plan. And at the time, his daughter, Sydney, was working at the Hereford Hotel. And so she, he was going to be staying there with her and spending a little bit of time with her before traveling back just the next day. Two days later, 
Marvin's wife, Mary, calls Sydney and asks, when's Marvin going to be coming home? Originally, we thought he was just going to be out for a day and then he was going to come back. And Sydney tells her mom something that I think kind of shocked everyone. She says that not only did Marvin not arrive at her house ever, but he also never told her that he was even coming to visit her, which was odd. Oh, he never even gave her a heads up? No. He just told Mary, like, I'm going to go visit our daughter. I'll be back in like a day or two. And then that was it. So Mary's obviously concerned because multiple days have passed. And so she's like, well, I'll just call Sydney and see where he's at. Well, you said he was going to a doctor's appointment as well. Potentially, because I saw mixed reports saying that there was a doctor's appointment involved. Mm -hmm. Some people said that he was heading to a doctor's appointment and then never made it to the appointment. And some people say that he was heading to see his daughter and never made it there. Oh, it's a lot of mixed reports. It's kind of, it is kind of a confusing case a little bit because. Well, my thought process was like, maybe he told his wife, like, no, after the doctors, I'll stop it. I'll stop and see her just to like appease his wife in one way or another. And then wasn't actually planning on doing it. And maybe he just went and did something else. Yeah, if the doctor's appointment part is true, then I could I could mm-hmm. see that. I mean, he tells his wife that he's also going to just stop by and see his daughter. And maybe he was just planning on popping in and surprising her for some reason. But yeah. it w- was noted to be slightly out of character for him. Sure. So on November 6th, so about seven days later, Marvin is officially reported missing. And in this initial report, they state that Marvin had taken a stagecoach to Portland. But then there was another report that said that he had taken a bus to Portland. So, and I found some original newspaper articles from 1926 that were very confusing. They also didn't match up with each other. So I think even back then, which... It was a lot different, obviously. They didn't have as much information or as much news abilities as we do in 2022. But everything kind of was off. It didn't all line up with each other. So if he had taken a bus, there was a report of a man in a dark suit and slacks that was spotted at a bus terminal in downtown Portland. And it was potentially Marvin. Once again, if he did take the bus there, then this would have been the last reported sighting of him. Other than that, the last sighting of him would have been when he left Mary's house. Well, and you would think, too, that he would have been pretty easily identifiable if he had at least a cane and maybe as I don't know if you'd be able to tell that his one arm um, wasn't really working very well. But at least the cane would be an identifying item that he would have with him. Yeah, you'd think that. That would be helpful. It, it is, as I mentioned, he was 5'7", five, 5'8", five, which is a pretty common height. You know, he yeah, wasn't like 6'8", where you, you know, he's really sticks out. But the use of the cane and the limp in his right foot may have made it a little bit easier to spot him. Um, he was also wearing, like I said, just a dark suit at the time, so... He wasn't really having anything that would make him stand out other than that cane. On November 11th, Sydney was like, well, I want to I want to help find dad. So she offers a one hundred dollar reward in order to find her dad. 
which obviously inflation. So in 2022, that amount is equal to about $1,673.28. During the investigation, there were a lot of different reports that were coming in of possible sightings of Marvin. Nothing was really confirmed, though. There were a bunch of witnesses that said that they had seen Marvin at two different hotels on one on November 2nd and one on November 3rd. So I think that I don't know if it's like, I don't know if people were actually seeing him or if they just thought they were because he was a pretty common man at the time. Not to mention in a relatively big city. And I mean, obviously at that time it wasn't quite as populated as now, but I would assume still there'd be quite a few people. Yeah. When I was looking, it actually, there was a number of about 300,000 residents in yeah. around that area. I'm sure Portland, Oregon has way That's more a than lot now. 300,000. Oh, yeah. Also in early November, either Marvin's wife, Mary, or his son, Grover, once again, differences in the story, received a postcard that was supposedly from Marvin, but the postcard was confusing. I was trying to find a photo of the postcard and I wasn't finding one, but the postcard was marked from Bellingham, Washington was where it had been sent, supposedly, which was odd. They didn't know why Marvin would have been in Bellingham, but supposedly the letter was from him and that's where the stamp was from. But the letter apparently made no sense. So Mary and Grover were starting to wonder if his mind may have been confused, like maybe Alzheimer's or dementia or something else was setting in like that at this time. Uh, And maybe Mary hadn't noticed it. And then when he left to go see his daughter, it could have been a number of things, but maybe he potentially said that he was going to go visit his daughter and then left and forgot what he was doing and then got confused and lost. Either way, this letter somehow made it back to them. That's an interesting part, because if he really did get confused, like somehow he had that ability to at least send it like maybe the address stuck or something. That's interesting. Well, and I almost wonder, too, I'm like, at that point, it would have made sense, I think, for him to go to somebody and be like, hey, like, this is the address. Could you take me here? Or like, I'm confused. I think it's hard for... Somebody to just walk around confused for a very long period of time with nobody, like, stopping them to ask some sort of question, yeah. right? Right. And I think you make a good point. It's surprising that he wouldn't go to someone and be like, I, this is my home. I'm kind of lost. Can you, like, contact authorities or contact them for me? Well, and something that I found interesting, too, was that the report said that it could have been to sent to his wife. And some of them said that it could have been sent to his son. So... For some reason, if if he had gone through something where his mind was a little fuzzy, he remembered possibly his son's address if that's where it was sent instead of his own address, which I also thought was interesting. Or did somebody send something confusing to make it look like this? And that's also something that people question. Because he'd been a sheriff for such a long period of time in multiple areas, there was some speculation that he possibly had been hurt or even killed by somebody that he had made enemies with or somebody that he had arrested at some point in time. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's a tough job as it is. And so it, I think that that's highly likely is that he 
just stumbled into the wrong person. Something else that kind of confused the family, and it seems like this kind of came when the letter was sent, but it they said that he never took a coat with him, which doesn't seem that odd, other than the fact that it was like end of October, beginning of November, so it would have been pretty cold in Oregon, or if he was in Washington, like it would it would have been very cold weather. So you would have expected him to have some sort of jacket or something like it, it does, which kind of points to him maybe being a little more confused and forgetting a jacket. I think it's also possible that there was a mix of confusion and maybe somebody also found him. So this case honestly sits very quiet for many years. They are still following up on some random leads, I think, over the years, seeing if they can find any evidence. They, at this point, have not found a body for him. They've not found anything. But in 1986, there is a body found in Oregon. There were a few things that led police to believe that the body that they had found was that of somebody that had died a long time ago. Initial inspection of the body determined that the individual was probably between the ages of 35 and 55, which would be out of range for Marvin as he was about 75 at the time, 78, somewhere around there. But the things that they found on this body that kind of indicated maybe he was an older man was a 1888 Liberty Head Nickel, a 1919 Penny, an old pocket watch, some leather shoes, a fraternal order of eagles pocket knife, and four tokens with the inscription of DNP, along with a pair of wire-rimmed glasses. So some of this was just like older stuff, antiques that wasn't being created at this time. And some of it was just very clearly deteriorated to the point where they re- they were like, it has to be somebody from a long time ago. The clothes on the body were also basically deteriorated because of how long it had been. And they did find a revolver next to his body along with a single shell. So they did determine that the cause of death for this individual was suicide. So it's 1986. They gather the body and they there's obviously no indicators on it as to who this person is because it's been so long and a lot of decay has occurred they'd gather as much dna from the body as they can but they can't really test any of it because the testing for dna in 1986 was not up to par not where it's at in 2022 So they wait a while. It kind of comes out again in 2011 that they should start testing for it because there's been a lot of advancements, but they wait until 2018. I don't know if they were just having trouble finding somebody, but because it'd been so long, but they had to find somebody that was a relative of Marvin because they didn't have any of Marvin's DNA. So they reach out to Marvin's great, great granddaughter, Pam Knowles, and gather some DNA from her to confirm if this is or is not Marvin. The DNA results come back and much to everybody's surprise, the DNA determines that the body is not that of Marvin. 
And everybody was honestly, like I said, really shocked because they were expecting this one body that was in Oregon that, you know, kind of matched his description. It was about the same height, seemed like it was from a long time ago, maybe around the same time period, but it wasn't him. So at this point, there's now two mysteries. One, we still have no idea what happened to Marvin. We don't know where his body is. We don't know. Obviously, at this point, he's most likely dead. Because if not, he'd be like 160 years old or 170 years old. I'm not going to do the math. He'd be pretty old. So there's a lot of... or so, so there's... It's highly unlikely that he would still be alive. But then there's the question of whose body is this that's in the woods that died? Did, did they have any... Thoughts that maybe Marvin had committed suicide back when he'd gone missing? I didn't find anything about that. It didn't seem like anybody was concerned. The only thing that I saw was that Pam in 2018 had said that she knew that there was potential that her great-great-grandfather had been pretty depressed because of his diagnosis of the paralysis. And obviously that was a hard thing for him to come to terms with and to cope with. So... There is some speculation that maybe that could have led to him leaving on his own. But I didn't see anything about him committing suicide necessarily. I don't think any of the family members necessarily thought that. I I think they would have more likely believed that he left to go get some help somewhere else or to like go live his life without his family kind of thing. So that's really the last of anything that we know about Marvin. Um, no other bodies have been officially connected to him. I, I don't know. I know they still have Pam's DNA on file so they can continue to test it against other John Doe's that they find just in case they find his body somewhere along the, along the way. At the time of Marvin's disappearance, he, like I said, was about five, seven, five, eight. He had either white or gray hair. He had blue eyes and he was last seen wearing a dark suit and a hat. One thing that I thought was interesting about this case is that it is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, it depended on which side you looked at, missing person case that's still active because they just have nowhere to go with this. Everything I've given you is all that I could find in relation to this case. If you have any information about the disappearance of Marvin Clark, you can contact the Manolma County Sheriff's Office at 503-988-4300. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.